Well, hi there. Um, we are re-recording this on the Wednesday because unfortunately the audio recording did not work on Sunday. Um, but I really wanted this recording to be made because um, it's the start of a new series and we're building for the rest of the series, we're building on this week of the series. We're starting a new series in the book of Jonah. So if you've got a Bible and you're following along and you want to grab Jonah chapter one, that would be great. Um, Jonah is this amazing little book, really packs a punch and excited to be preaching it um, in this season. But before we dive into Jonah, I want to do a little word association game. We did this on Sunday and it worked really well. I'm going to give you the name of a Bible character. And what I want you to do is to think of the first words that come into your mind after I say this name. So let's start. This is the easy one. If I say Adam, you say Well, you're probably going to say Eve, aren't you? If I say Cain, you would say Abel, right? If I say Noah, you would say Ark. Maybe you thought Flood. If I would say Daniel, you would say something to do with lions. Last one. If I say Jonah, you would say... Well, depending on how biblically literate you are, you would either say whale... (laughs) Or you'd say fish, right? Because when we think of Jonah and the the story of Jonah, we think of the fish, we think of the whale. Now, it was actually just a fish. We never told it was a whale. It might have been a whale, but we never told that. But this is what we think of when we think of Jonah. And um, we we looked at the different book covers, children's book covers that you, you find if you do a Google search for the story of Jonah. And they all have the fish on it. But the problem is, if you get up the entire story of Jonah. It's only a couple of pages. it take you five minutes or less to read it. Only two sentences actually say anything to do with the fish. And so if we spend the story of Jonah focusing on the fish, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss out what God has to say to us through the entire story. So it's not actually about the fish. And over the last number of years, actually, that I've been reading and thinking and praying into Jonah, Um, on and off, I've come across a sermon series called The Amazing Jonah by a guy called Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey, uh, he uh, runs the Bible Project, which is putting theological concepts and books of the Bible really, really simply, really, really easily, phenomenal. And he preached this amazing sermon series called The Amazing Jonah. And um, a lot of my thinking in this sermon series comes off the back of listening to The Amazing Jonah sermon series by Tim Mackey. And so what I want you to do is if, if my sermon series, if this sermon series does anything, um, I would love for it to encourage you to go and listen to that because it goes into much more detail and it is, is just a phenomenal series that I'd love for you to listen to. The Amazing Jonah by Tim Mackey. But what Tim Mackey says is that the book of Jonah is so interesting because it, it closely resembles two genres that we have today. The first is the comic book. In comic books, everything is over the top. You know that comic book strip where someone punches someone, you get a big star, wham, or pow, or whatever it might be. Everything's over the top, and everything's over the top in Jonah. Everything's massive in Jonah. The city is massive. It's too big by by ancient standards. The fish is massive. The storm is massive. Jonah always feels everything way over the top. He's so happy he could die. He runs away in completely the opposite direction. He's so angry he could die. He's so frustrated. He's always feeling. He's kind of always feeling something massively. So that's the first genre, the comic book. The second genre is well, the closest I can think of is Little Britain. I know that's not very PC. 
But if you ever watch Little Britain, it takes these really well-known characters in British culture and it just dials them up to 10. It just makes them ridiculous, like really dials them up, puts them in ridiculous circumstances. And the idea is it's funny and it is funny often. You're laughing, you're finding it amusing. And what you realise is you're laughing at these ridiculous characters and their ridiculous circumstances. You're actually laughing at yourself because you're a bit like them. Now, what we realise with Jonah is that we've got this over-the-top prophetic character. And they'd have known all about prophets. They'd have known all about sailors. They'd have known all about pagan cities. And you have these characters that are well-known. They're all over-the-top. Everything's over-the-top. And you're supposed to find it funny. Jonah does some ridiculous, stupid things. You're supposed to find it amusing. But as we laugh at Jonah in these ridiculous situations, you realise... Oh, I'm a bit like Jonah. So as we laugh at Jonah, we realise we're kind of laughing at ourselves too. And that points us to our need for someone else. For someone to come who can rescue us out of our silliness, out of our foolishness. Someone like Jonah who would be sent by God. It points us to Jesus. That's why we're calling this sermon series Jesus, Jonah and You. Because it's not about the fish. It's about Jonah, who reveals some of the darkest parts of our own hearts and points to our need for Jesus. So this is Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. They each cried out for their own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and of course the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So, Father, as we look again at Jonah 1, I pray that you would speak to us. We would hear what you have to say to us through this. In Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, 
Straight off the back, we know what kind of book this is now saying it's going to be. There are lots of different kinds of books in the Bible, lots of different genres. There's poetry, there's songs, there's history, there's law, there's letters, all kinds of different types of literature. But when a book starts, the word of the Lord came to, you know what it means. You know, it's a prophetic book. The prophets were God's messengers um, in the Old Testament. They were the people who said, uh, who said, this is what God is saying to you and this is what you need to do as a result of it. And so in all the prophets or loads of the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, at least those, you've got this phrase, the word of the Lord came to. And then what would happen in all of these books is you would get a whole book of the words of the prophets. So the word of the Lord came to Hosea, which is followed by a load of the words, a load of the teachings of Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, a load of teachings of Zephaniah. But Jonah is different. You see, we get the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then you don't get the teachings of Jonah. You get the life of Jonah. See, the prophetic message of the book of Jonah isn't in what he says, but in how he lives. God is teaching us through story with the book of Jonah. And of course, the word of the Lord came to who? To Jonah, son of Amittai. We don't have time to go into that, but Jonah, uh, son of Amittai, was mentioned in 2, Corinthians 4, 2 Chronicles 14. Um, he was a prophet. He's already established, already been on assignments. Now, we've got some questions about how we carried out those assignments, but even so, he's not a noob. This is not his first assignment. The word of the Lord comes to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is what Jonah is to do. Now Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire were the superpowers of the time. They were the biggest, baddest empire of the time. If, If the Assyrian Empire came knocking, you were worried because they did horrible things to you. They were awful. They were vicious and vindictive. What they would do is uh, if, they, if they came to your city and they conquered your city and you hadn't surrendered to them, they would take your leaders and in front of the whole city, they would skin them alive or they would impale them on poles or they would do other horrible stuff, chopping off body parts. And then they would make artwork about it. So we've got artwork in the British Museum, in other museums, in antiquity that are showing the Assyrians doing horrible things to cities they conquered. They were rubbish. And so Jonah gets his message, you're to go to Nineveh. It'd be kind of the equivalent, I guess, of on October the 8th this year, someone from Israel going into Gaza, holding up a sign saying, Hamas, you need to stop it. Like, it was a serious assignment here. And Jonah's response in verse 3 is to run away. But he doesn't just run away. (laughs) Like if you've got a map of what happens, you've got uh, down uh, in Israel, you've got Gathifa, which is where Jonah is from. And then just a couple of, maybe a couple of day, a couple of weeks, um, northeast, you've got Nineveh, where Jonah is being told to go. Tarshish is in Spain. <laughs> so it's literally all the way through the Mediterranean Sea. It's about as far away as you can possibly go without getting out into the Atlantic, which you just didn't do. So through the Straits of Gibraltar, Atlantic, that was the end of the known world at the time. So Jonah has literally got the message from God and he has booked it in completely the opposite direction. He has gone as far away as he possibly can do from where God is calling him to go. He's basically gone to Timbuktu. That's what we'd say today. 
He has done a runner. And so the question that we have is, why? Why has Jonah done this? And we don't get the answer to that properly until Jonah 4, which Amy's going to do in a few weeks' time. But what we can say at this point is that Jonah has a vision for his life. He has a vision for his ministry. He has a vision for his marriage. He has a vision for his retirement. And that vision does not include Nineveh. And so when God tells Jonah that he's to go to Nineveh, that is a competing vision for his life. God's vision for his life and Jonah's vision for his life are different things. And Jonah basically just sees that God's out to ruin his fun. That is not part of the plan, God. I'm not doing that. It's a bit like when you're trying to get a kid to eat their greens. And you know, as a parent, that if they want to grow up happy and healthy and whole and all that kind of stuff, then they need to eat their greens, right? It's just part of life. But the child in that moment, they don't see that. All they see is they have a vision for their mealtime and it does not involve eating the slimy, sweaty, horrible broccoli. That's the vision for their meal. It does not involve broccoli and you're just trying to ruin their mealtime, ruin their fun, ultimately ruin their life. And so they can freak out. And the really sad thing about this whole situation is that God has a plan for Nineveh. We're going to see that, that God has a plan to bring transformation, to bring change, to bring real change and real revival into the most awful city. And he wants to use Jonah to do it. He wants to use Jonah to be an instrument of this revival that's going to happen in this horrific city. But all Jonah can see is that God wants to ruin his fun. So he runs away. And we see two things in Jonah chapter one that running away leads to. So running away from God leads to first spiritual sleepiness. So Jonah gets on this boat and then a, a, a storm brews. It's such a violent storm. The, the sailors are terrified. They're freaking out. And you know it's a big storm if the sailors are worried. So what they do is they start crying out to their own God. All the gods they can think of, they just think of whoever might possibly have sent this storm. They're going to cry out to this God. They're going to throw the cargo off the ship, which is a big deal because the whole reason they've been making the ship is to sell the cargo at the end. So they completely, the, the voyage itself is a complete waste of time now. They've chucked the cargo off, but they are terrified for their life. So the, the sailors are freaking out, but what's Jonah doing? He's asleep. He's completely missing out on what's going on. He's got no idea. He's got no idea what danger he's in. The sailors are wide awake. So you get this really strange thing in verse 6 where you've got Jonah who's asleep, the Christian, the prophet who's completely asleep. And then you've got the pagan captain coming and telling Jonah to wake up and start praying. So you've got this pagan guy telling Jonah to start praying. It's just a ridiculous, it's, just, it's, it's completely flipped on its head. But that's what happens when you run away from God. It leads to this spiritual sleepiness. This dopiness, just missing out on what's happening. Jonah, Jonah's missing out on what God's doing around him in the storm. These sailors all give their life to Jesus in the end. They give their life to God. They start trusting him. They start worshipping him. And Jonah misses out because he's spiritually asleep, just like he's physically asleep. Running away from God leads to spiritual sleepiness. It also leads to spiritual hypocrisy. So Jonah gets up on deck. He's kind of rubbing the tiredness, the sleep out of his eyes. And they're like, okay, let's try and figure out what's going on. They cast lots. Who's responsible? Of course, the lot falls on Jonah. And so they grill him. 
Verse 8, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? Like they're properly trying to figure out, Jonah, what is going on? We know this is not just a normal storm. We know this is a spiritual storm, which of course Jonah has completely missed the point on. So Jonah responds, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And that's ridiculous for two reasons. Firstly, it's ridiculous because you've got a prophet of God, a messenger of God, trying to run away from the God who made the sea. Like, that's just stupid. Like, why are you doing that, Jonah, you, you moron? But it's also ridiculous because who's Jonah trying to kid? You worship the Lord, do you? You worship Yahweh. It doesn't really look like you worship him because when he gives you a job to do, you completely ignore it. You run in the opposite direction. There's this really horrible spiritual hypocrisy that we're seeing in Jonah. Where he claims one thing and does another. You see, you can be a prophet and still be running away from God. You can be in leadership, Christian leadership, and still be running away from God. You need me to tell you how much spiritual hypocrisy there's been in Christian leadership. You can be coming to church every week. You'll be raising your hands in worship. It can all look great and still be running away from God. And so the sailors are terrified because he's just told them he's running away from the one who made the sea. <laughs> And they freak out and they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to row back to land. And eventually Jonah says, just, you know, chuck me into the sea. That'll stop it. And you might go, well, Jonah's kind of coming to terms with his own sin. He's coming, trying to face the consequences of his actions. And so he's facing the consequences, going chucked in the sea. But I don't think that really fits with the kind of Jonah we see in later in the book. I don't think that's the Jonah that we get in the book of Jonah at all. I don't think he's trying to face his consequences. Think about it like this. If you're Jonah and you really don't want to go to Nineveh, what is the one way you can be guaranteed to not have to go to Nineveh? Well, it's pretty hard to go if you're dead. I think this is Jonah's last big middle finger up to God. I would rather die than go where you want me to go. Of course, they throw him in, the storm remains calm. And then we'll have to see what happens next week. And I think we're supposed to read chapter one and just go, Jonah, what an idiot. (laughs) Running away from the all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God. (laughs) That is a ridiculous thing to do, let alone for a prophet to be doing. Like the spiritual, you're just missing the point on everything that's happening. The spiritual hypocrisy. Jonah is such an idiot. He's such a moron. I would never, ever, ever be anything like. Oh. And this is where the book of Jonah starts to work its magic. Because none of us could say that we never choose to go a different way to the way God wants us to go. Could you say that? 
you always do what God wants you to do. That when you know what God is calling you to, you always go, yes, let's go for it. Can you say that? I don't think you can. And it might be in the small things. A little compromise you make at work. A link you click when no one's watching. An opportunity for generosity, but instead you choose to do something different with your money. We use your words to hurt people rather than build them up. Each one of these are little steps away from God towards Tarshish. But it can happen in the big things as well. Maybe God's calling you to do a ministry onto an area of service or to a new job or dare I say it to a church plant and God is calling you into something and you know he's calling you there. But you just think of all the reasons you don't want to do it and what you're doing is you're booking your ship to Tarshish. The problem is this leads to spiritual sleepiness. And it might be one big act of running away from God and what he's called you to do. Or it might be death by a thousand paper counts. But it will lead to a kind of spiritual sleepiness where we just let stuff happen around us. And maybe you're listening to this and you used to be on fire for God. Right in the centre of church, right in the centre of telling your friends about Jesus and all, all, everything that was going on. You knew exactly what God was calling you to and you were right at the centre of his plans and purposes. And now you've just kind of drifted. You just kind of come to church. Or maybe you come to church and you put the face on. But the reality is there's a big area of sin in your life that you know you're going in a direction that God is not happy with. You're pursuing something that you know is not his best for you. (laughs) But the good news is this. Hundreds of years after Jonah, God would send another man on another rescue mission to a bunch of people who are far off. And this man, instead of running away, would embrace the call of God. He would perfectly follow the call of God and he would follow it all the way to the cross. And there he died, taking on himself all the consequences of our running away, all our spiritual sleepiness, all our spiritual hypocrisy, all our rebellion against God. He'd put it on himself and he would die for it on the cross. So that you and I could come back to God through Jesus, no matter how far away we from. And I don't know where you're at listening to this today. I don't know if you feel like you've run away from God. I want to say you can turn back now. You can turn back to him now. He is waiting with open arms. Or maybe you're just on the brink of making that decision. <laughs> that takes you away from God's plan for your life. Maybe you've been resisting his call. I want to say, God is inviting you to do something, into something bigger than you could possibly imagine. He has plans for Wigston. 
He has plans for Southwicks and he has plans for your neighbourhood and for your community that you cannot imagine that he is calling you into if you would just say yes to him. And so Heavenly Father, where we're running away from you, would you bring us back? Where we're saying no to you, would you help us to say yes? Give us courage, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for listening this morning. We carry on with Jonah part two uh, next Sunday. Bless you guys.